Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I am your host, Scott Brady, fresh back from a little sailing expedition. And I am here with my co-host, Matt Scott. Who kept his seat, did not get sea legs. <laughs> I stayed on dry land where I belong. That was actually the most bizarre part of it was after almost a month at sea, getting back on dry land. Now I know why Jack Sparrow walks the way that he does and pirates do. Like you, they talk about a drunken sailor. You're not drunk. You just can't walk yet. <laughs> so yeah, it was, oh, and, and then you wake up in the middle of the night, you know, cause I'd been on a sailboat for that long. Like, and I was in a hotel room and I woke up in the middle of the night and the whole room was moving like the boat was like, it's just, you don't get used to it. It takes like about a week to stop okay. falling. Well, I mean, all over my, my question is like, how does that translate to going to the bathroom? Like, did you, did you like have your first solid <laughs> on solid ground? And you're like, like, th- like, did you have to book like a handicap suite? So you're like, you're, you know, you're, you're that like, would have been a good idea. That would have been a really good idea. Um, Thanks to this week's sponsor GCI outdoor, whether you're heading out for a weekend of adventure in the woods or to your backyard fire pit, GCI outdoor gear is ready for whatever you have planned. GCI Outdoor has been around for 25 years, so they know what they're doing when it comes to the best in portable recreation gear. GCI has innovative products ranging from outdoor rockers to complete camp kitchens and everything in between. And with a limited lifetime warranty, you know they stand behind everything they make. GCI Outdoor Gear is comfortable, durable, and built for adventures, big and small. Try them out for yourself. Head over to their website at GCIOutdoor.com and save 10% off your first purchase when you sign up for their email list. Thanks again, GCI. Well, because going to the bathroom on the boat is a challenge, right? Yeah. Because it's all about triangulation. You're trying to triangulate. Yeah. You're trying to have many points of contact, (laughs) which of course becomes complicated when you're trying to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. I I, would have just, I would just went for an aqua bog. You're right on the ocean. What's, what is an aqua bog? Uh, It is an Australian term for taking a in the water. Oh, well, there you go, guys. This is, uh, this is, this, is Matt educa- Scott. this has been educational for welcome, all of our listeners. Welcome to Australian Culture 101 with <laughs> yeah, your okay. host. That sounds terrible. Somebody who briefly lived there. No, nah, it was amazing. I mean, just there are so many parallels to overland travel that we're going to talk about at a future episode. We'll get Brian McVickers, who is part of our team and was with me on the trip. And uh, for those who want to kind of follow along with what's happening, uh, it's on Instagram. It's at Kailani Expedition. The goal was to sail from Long Beach. So essentially Los Angeles, we sailed across the Pacific Ocean and we ended up at the Aleutian Islands and into the Bering Sea. And the team continued on after I flew out and they went on to the island of Atu, which is where they're at right now, which is the both the westernmost and the easternmost point of the United States because it's across the international dateline. Oh, cool. And I think that that's where Sarah Palin thought she could see Russia from, but it's that close. It's very close to Russia. Huh. Yeah. So, that's but it was, cool. it was a fascinating experience. Um, it does get pretty rowdy in the Pacific, but it was not that I mean, bad. Some of the videos that you were sending me, I was like, I was getting seasick like <laughs> yeah. in Prescott yeah. on my couch. That'll be my one little tip that we'll talk about today. And then we'll get into more stuff on that podcast. But there is this relief. It's called a relief band. It's designed by Johnson and Johnson for cancer patients that are having nausea. Mm. Uh, but it works just as well for people who get seasick or get motion sickness in a car or whatever. It is a FDA approved device I, I, I and it works for it. Oh, you've used it. That's I've right. You bought one. one. Yeah, yeah that's right. because um, you make yourself sick in your car. I make, I, I now have the ability to make myself sick when I'm driving fast, which is, <laughs> that's unfortunate. I don't know that's how unfortunate. that worked out. Like I raced cars for 15 years straight. You're getting old, man. You hit your thirties and things just go downhill. <laughs> like, it sucks, man. Like I, I just, I just want to go back to a scooter and a backpack in Asia or something, but like you can, you it, have that option. You know, my, my scientific, highly scientific, very scientific test. I whilst hungover went and drove with the worst driver I know. Mm. And I was fine. Oh, normally 30 seconds. I'd been, would have been a not fun time. Totally fine. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I know. It's I'm, pretty I'm basically the CDC. <laughs> so I read it on Facebook. Yeah. So it does apply to overlanding. Those of you who end up being a passenger in the vehicle and things are not going well and you're feeling sick, mm-hmm. take a look at this relief band. We have no association other than yeah, the fact that it, that it works. It, on, it just on works stuff great. Now when she's not driving, 
um, we'll both kind of switch off using it. It's like a little mini tens unit that goes on your yeah. wrist and it, it basically looks like sent, a Fitbit to me. It does. Mine looks like a Fitbit. Yep. So. And it just kind of excites the Vega nerve in the wrist, which the hand kind of, yeah, it, it, ting- it tingles. <laughs> yeah. It tingles a little bit, but it just completely takes away the whole nausea thing. So that's how I made it across the Pacific without losing my lunch. Yeah. So did you lose your lunch at all? No, I, but which was a miracle. It's only because of this. I bet wrist Brian thing. lost his lunch. He didn't. No, he's yeah, like, no, totally, he doesn't even, like wear, the, he doesn't even like, wear it. Brian's Mr. Sailor. He is Mr. Sailor, man. Totally. So listen to a future episode when we talk about expedition sailing and how it translates. There was a lot that we learned. There was a lot that we learned that translates over to overlanding yeah. as well. Yeah. So. I saw you guys eating a lot of like tuna, fresh we tuna. We did. That was amazing. Yeah. We had sashimi and nigiri right Looks there. Looks like it sucks just as much as overlanding. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. There's just less dirt and, oh. and a better bathroom. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But waves. Yeah. It's so you're just still, you're still kind of moving of around. <laughs> it was rowdy. 25. It was rowdy, but yeah. it was good. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Awesome. And then in today's podcast, we're going to talk about something a little bit unusual, but it actually predates four-wheel drive overland vehicles. And that is driving in a two-wheel drive or driving in a car or a sedan. Well, I'm going to go with car because some, some of the cars that I'm going to talk that I want to drive around the world, they are four-wheel drive. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. But they're non-traditional non-traditional but the reason why we want to talk about this is to kind of reinforce what matt and i do our very best in this podcast to do which is to come back to this essence of overlanding which is vehicle-based travel and there have been families that have driven across eurasia in the sedan that they used for daily commuting in the uk there are significant trips across the sahara that have been done with dushevos there have been trips around the world that have been done in the same mercedes sedan um, that you know people use as a daily driver so again coming back to this idea that there are times that you absolutely do need a four-wheel drive if the conditions require it but if you want to just go travel and see the world yeah. most of the world has either paved routes or they have well-maintained dirt routes or they have dry drier dirt routes i mean how many times, Matt, have you and I been someplace remote? I mean, I've been always in, a Toyota Corolla. I know There's I've been always in, a Toyota Corolla. Exactly. I've been in like low range and a Mercedes G wagon feeling like I'm articulating or whatever. And then here comes like a bunch of locals and a Tercel. Yeah. And then when they get to a tough spot, they all hop out and they all push, push and then they get through it and they keep going on their way. So if the goal is travel, if the goal is to just go see the world yeah. And hopefully in an inexpensive of a way as possible, a car can be a great solution for that. Well, and, and as I, I've kind of touched on before, not everyone around, you know, I, I feel that um, overland travelers that have not yet left America kind of get this idea that I have to have a Defender. Yeah. I have to have a Land Cruiser. Yeah. Well, no, those, those are... Those are very expensive vehicles in America, which is the cheapest car market in the world. Yeah. You know, a Land Cruiser 200 series in Australia is twice as much as it is here. It is. Yeah. Very expensive. Um, nearly twice as much. I and mean, I'm, I'm generalizing. Most people drive cars. Yeah. Most people don't even have a Toyota Hilux. Toyota Hilux is like the fancy car. Yeah. They'll have a, I don't know what's worse, a Nissan. Yeah. Or they'll have a. Yeah. You'll typically Sangyong see. or they'll yeah, have exactly. a Great Wall or they'll have. You know, on a lot of those vehicles, like the Great Wall is a Chinese company that buys the tooling from GM out of Thailand when they're done making the Colorado. So the next generation Great Wall is going to look like the current generation Colorado as the yeah. last generation Colorado is now Great Wall. You know, you, you see a lot of that stuff, um, but you also see a lot of people that can't even afford that. And now yeah. I'm not trying to paint this picture that the rest of the world is impoverished and America is the shining beacon in the world because we have so much poverty here and homelessness, but Corollas. Yeah. Like what's that Nissan that's used like everywhere for taxis? Oh yeah. You know what I'm talking about? It's yeah. like an, it's like a mid, it's almost like a Versa mid nineties Sentra or yeah. something like totally. I've seen those things everywhere. like everywhere. Yeah. Like places that you could like barely like walk down. And I'm not saying that they're like extraordinarily capable. It's just that when that's what you have, well, their house is over there and they're just, light. Yeah. Most of them are front wheel drive, which is going to be better than a rear wheel drive truck in most cases, right? So let's talk about some of the other upsides of the car. The initial investment is very, very Way low. lower. Very, very low. They get excellent fuel economy. So the cost of your fuel on your travels is much less. The other, the other upside is, is you completely blend in. Like you no longer have this 
four wheel drive that has like that everybody notices, Yeah. which even if you just think about security and safety aside, just the fact that you could roll into a little village and not create so much attention where you can let people just go about their life and they're not seeing this expedition vehicle descend upon their little town. You're just another Mercedes diesel sedan that the taxi guy uses at the same in the same town. And you come in and you're likely to be able to find parts for it. And it's going to fly under the radar. You're not going to worry about the thing getting stolen. And I think that there's a lot of advantages to that. I I love the, the old Mercedes wagons. Um, Yeah. Like the W one, two threes. Yeah. Um, I know this lovely, lovely Spanish guy. Um, Super nice. He lives in Dubai now. He's kind of into the classic car thing. He, uh, he did central and South America. I think he actually rolled his car in like Venezuela or something Mm. got hit. Um, but he was in a, you know, a little Mercedes wagon and loved it. Um, Yeah. You know, I have to say that that's very, it's a very romantic idea to take the, like the Mercedes wagon or the, you know, the kind of the vintage classic car. I mean, you're not going to find parts for stuff like that. Um, Mercedes is kind of the oddball because you can still, they kind of go further back with servicing their vehicles. They do. Um, And they have that worldwide worldwide parts network that is fantastic. But Kias, Hyundai's, cheap cars that you can buy here are cheap because they're the same cheap car that you can buy everywhere and they share the same parts. And that would probably be a thing to start with is look for a vehicle that's available in the United States that's also sold in many other countries. And that's probably like an example of one that's a little older is you can get these turbocharged and normally aspirated diesel Mercedes sedans. I've seen them for sale for three, four or five grand. They're made well. They're they're They have an OM motor in them. They're made very well. They have an independent rear suspension. You can put a limited slip differential in the back. Not many who listen to this may know Chris of Chris Scott, but Chris Scott is literally one of the OG overlanders. He has a great series of books. Yeah. He wrote a series of Bibles about, about overlanding extensive travels throughout the, throughout Northern Africa. And he did a lot of long trips throughout the Sahara, including sand tracks in uh, W123 and other variants of the yeah. Mercedes sedans. And he would put a very small coil lift on them, like maybe about an inch or so, a slightly taller tire, steel wheels, limited slip differential in the back. He would add some very light skid plating underneath to protect the sump and a couple other things. Yeah. And he drove around Northern Africa in the same thing that the taxi guy drives. So you're totally under the radar. We did like a hundred or so miles of, of the old Dakar course in Morocco. And I think it was a Dacia. Yeah, there you go. Dacia it Duster. Like, yeah. It wasn't a Duster. It was a, it was, I, I call it the African Corolla. It had like, it had like a 90 liter fuel tank yeah. and a little turbo diesel. And it actually had, it looked like a lifted Corolla. Yeah. Perfect. It did great. Yeah. Like I had fun. It was cool. It was a rental car. It was the most capable car <laughs> on the old Dakar course in Morocco that day. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. We saw very few other people. Yeah. Well, that, what do they say? Every, every rental car is a four wheel drive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, what's the fastest car? Rental car. Yeah, what's always. the best car off road? A rental car. <laughs> exactly. Unless you're renting from Nina Barlow, who's very nice and please don't wreck rental cars. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's one exception. Yeah. But otherwise, rental cars very capable. <laughs> Incredibly capable off-road. Yeah. So there's a lot of upside to this whole idea of a car and I think that they get underserved in this idea of doing trips around the world and if we go back in time, if we go back historically, I mean Aloha Wanderwell, her 1920s trip around the world, uh, it was the first female to drive around the world. She did it in a Model T. Again, two-wheel drive vehicle. And the roads, I suspect, back then were pretty rough. Yeah. They were probably pretty probably bad. Probably not so great. The congestion and then, probably wasn't that bad. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you didn't I have to worry about traffic as much. But I remember when I was getting ready to go on the ferry um, in France to go over to Tangiers for the Outback Challenge race. And I've got this race prepped Land Cruiser. We're ready to go do this amazing adventure. And all of these little Duchevos, these little Citroen, they're Citroen, right? Or who yeah. makes the Duchevo? Yeah, yeah. the two CV du- yeah. Duchevo. Duchevo. And then um, they all they all line up on the same ferry, and they're going to go basically on the same route. I mean, are they just some exceptions? You? Yeah, they were. Well, yeah, was, that's kind of what I want to do. Is I just want to like we should just troll other overlanders with Duchevos. Let's take Laura's Subaru and go to the Mojave Road. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would be too easy, but. <laughs> 
<laughs> but that's a Subaru is a great example. Yeah. Now that we're moving kind of into this idea of the all wheel drives, but we have seen more and more aftermarket support for the Subarus and they, I think they look great. They got fun little motors in them. Real cool. And, but okay. So Laura, uh, my, my fiance, she has a Subaru Crosstrek. Great car. Very well made. Um, does not have enough power to run the AC sufficiently. Oh, nor does it have enough power to accelerate in a way that I feel is acceptable. Yeah. But she loves it. She loves it. But if you think, so let's think an 80 kilometer. You got to leave them stock. Yeah. You got to leave them stock That's because true. she'll get, she gets 30.8 miles a gallon. I know this because it hasn't changed, but I've talked to people that have lifted these. They do modest tires or they'll do bumpers or this. I've talked to guys that get 11 miles to the gallon. Out of a Subaru Subaru. because they're just so heavy and dogged down. So that's the key. If you do decide to travel in a Subaru, maybe consider some skid plates. Yeah. Maybe consider a slightly operated spring. Definitely keep the weight off the top. When you see a roof 10 on the Subaru, bad idea. Yeah. Um, It's just going to greatly affect fuel economy. And then you might as well just take a Tacoma with you. Take a Tacoma or a forerunner. I mean, that's, that's, that's the conclusion that I've come to. Um, very, very modest modifications. Is I've a had a lot of people it. ask me, I want to lift my Subaru. And I'm like, what are you trying to do with it? Yeah. Cause a stock forerunner is going to be better at everything and get better gas mileage. Yeah. Once you, once you over modify those Subarus then they really yeah. struggle yeah. and then the transmissions get hot. They don't have any low range Little CVTs. Yeah. Yeah. But they're fun. They're great. I get why people do it. I don't get why people ex- modify them incredibly extensively. But, th- but isn't that the case for all of us? Right. Like we all like, yeah. I like, I yeah. think about my Tacoma, Hot my first Tacoma. Black. Yeah. I, I completely over modified that. Your first that. Tacoma was fine. It was, but it was like 7,000 pounds. It was, it was, it was, it was terrible. I always run into these Tacomas on the trail that will like get, they weigh as much as a full size truck yeah. and then they get worse gas mileage, yeah. fuel economy. So I think it's that same path. Like you start off with a Tacoma when it's stock, it's super capable. It exceeds all your expectations. It gets pretty good gas mileage. Yeah. It's super reliable. And then you start to try to make it something like an expedition vehicle and they're not suited for that once they get heavy. Yeah. If you keep them really light, then take them around the world. Absolutely. But it's the same thing, I think, for the Subaru. If you if you get like a Forester, lots of space on the inside, you could easily sleep inside it. Maybe you operate the springs a little bit to give you just a little bit more clearance. See, I, I, I look at it the opposite way. I don't think that you touch the Subaru. I think the Subaru, Stalker. The Subaru is the factory upgraded car that you want. Yeah, true. So if you were to take the Mercedes or the, you know, uh, whatever car. Corolla, yeah. Corolla. And you're like, okay, well, I'm going to figure this, a little bit more of this, whatever. No, that's just a stock Subaru. I mean, yeah, a stock Subaru true. has like eight to nine inches of ground clearance. Nine inches. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So I, I think oh, that's a good point. You just leave it and yeah. then you drive it. Yeah. And, and you then just you go, drive it back. And then it's just another Subaru. So you get that to go sell on eBay, drive into the ground. Yeah. And it goes to like that place in Oregon where all Subarus go, where they're fed kombucha <laughs> and IPAs. Um, you know, very yeah. Oregon. Yeah. You know, that's where, that's where all Subarus go. I didn't know that. Cats but- go to the farm. Subarus go to Oregon. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I, I like going to trigger some people. Some people have had their parents tell them that the cat was going to the farm. It didn't go to the farm. I was told that the cat was going to the farm. <laughs> and then I found out it actually did go to a farm. Like really? Went, did it really go to a farm? Oh, and that's what my mom told me. And I'm realizing <laughs> that maybe she was just trying to cover her track. <laughs> yeah, cats never go to the farm. I'm sorry. So kitty kitty didn't go to the farm. <laughs> He didn't go to the farm. <laughs> no, I just like to make fun of Oregon mainly because of Caleb Wallace, who's a friend of mine that yeah. now works for me. He's from Oregon and he's young, so he catches all of the flack in our office. All of the Oregon jokes. And he drinks kombucha, which is yeah. don't you drink kombucha? Yeah, sometimes. Like when I feel like my gut needs a little boost. I don't know. That's what I tell myself. Because yeah. they don't really taste that good. So you hope that what you're doing is healthy. So I do I do I do those Yakult probiotic things. Uh. Because we're getting older, Matt. Well, okay. This is, this is because I'm a, I'm a sucker for advertising is we went to this baseball game in Tokyo like two years ago. And now I'm a fan of the Tokyo Yakult Swallows. Like interesting thing. Every baseball player has their own song and chant and it's wonderful. They have these little, 
lovely Japanese girls that walk around with little beer kegs on their back okay. and you get fresh draft beer. Okay. And like these lovely Japanese people were sharing snacks with us. It was the coolest experience ever. So you went to a baseball game in Japan. Oh yeah. We love going to baseball games in Japan. That, I think that that's would be like, amazing. that's like one of my things that I'm doing post COVID baseball game in Japan. I would love to do that. That's I have a great like all idea. these obscure Japanese baseball shirts. Like one of them is green and it has like the Yakult swallows little bird on it. And it has huh? all this Japanese stuff. It could be like, I don't know what it says. It, it could be saying something very derogatory <laughs> about me. And I wouldn't know kind of like the, like the, you know, the, the tattoos that people get and like the Japanese Chinese. or Chinese. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. yeah, silly American or whatever it says on it. <laughs> yeah. That was my politically correct, correct interpretation of that back to Subarus. So I think that I do think that the Subaru is a good idea. Yeah. And you see them everywhere in the world. Just get a stock Subaru. Make sure it doesn't have terrible tires on it. Yeah. Quality tires. Just like put fuel in it. Go. Go. Yeah, exactly. It's really actually quite simple. So what what other practical solutions would there be on the car side? I mean Bentley Continental GT. Yeah, we, we gotta we gotta get into the fun car ideas. Yeah, but like, I don't let's talk think about, about boring stuff anymore. Okay. No, no. Let's talk about boring stuff a little bit more. I'm trying to think about, cause there were some Tercels that were all wheel drive, you know, there's, um, Astro vans. Yeah. People have done vans. Like why don't people have done people, some serious Astro van travel wax poetic about taking a two wheel drive van again somewhere. Yeah. My friend Zach has this lifted Toyota Previa. He's, he was like 18 when he got that thing, yeah. probably from his mom because yeah. it's a Toyota Previa. He's done Smiley Rock. He's done like all these trails. He comes out with us. He had a Toyota Sienna for like, I don't know, 50 bucks and a PS3. You could sleep inside of it. And they would probably still run forever. Forever because those cars are meant to be neglected. Yeah. Because you, when you have like 12 screaming kids and like. You're not thinking about oil you know, changes. A kid's yeah. just like, oh, a door handle. Let's pour milk into it. Yeah. That is what the Toyota Sienna <laughs> is made for. Therefore, it can't break. Yeah, that's probably true. And the fact that it survived Zach to this it, point. Yeah. Zach is a lovely young man. He is a lovely young man. Except that he's leaving me and he's going to, he's going to school to be a forest service ranger, which sounds awesome. National yeah. park ranger. I know. I know it's going to be a sad, we're sad state. We're of losing affairs. Zach. Zach works in our complex. What else is practical? Yeah. I know we're struggling with this one, but okay. there are, there are all wheel drive um, cars that are practical. asking unpractical people, practical questions. We're asked about practical cars. We don't know anything about practical cars. Yeah. We tried. We tried. We did try. Okay. Bentley Continental GT. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So seriously, that's what I want to drive around the world. You can buy a very nice Bent- Bentley Continental GT right now. For less than the price. With 30,000 miles. Of for less than a Tacoma with 30,000 miles. Yeah. I'm just saying that. Yeah. That's true. And then you just put like two Russian flags on the front of it and then you just drive around the world like a Russian oligarch. Yeah. Or Jeremy Clarkson. Did you watch that, that Madagascar special? No, I should have. Did he take a Bentley Continental GT? He took a lifted Bentley Continental GT with four Max Tracks Extremes on the top across <laughs> Madagascar. <laughs> and now he has it on his farm show and it like rips around the farm and it's been, apparently it's been flawless. It's That's, amazing. That is amazing. And I want it. Yeah. If only I could have a Continental GT. Yeah. But yeah. But maybe that's it. Maybe that's because people look at something like a Continental GT or maybe an Audi all wheel drive car that's like yeah. a really nice performing vehicle and they seem kind of out of reach. Yeah. But the reality is, is a lot of those things depreciate so quickly, so quickly that you could buy this beautiful driving sedan that is designed for bad roads. I mean, they all, if it's going to be sold in Russia, it needs to survive bad roads. So something like a Continental GT, I bet you with a, some good tires and. You know, I think, I think for me, Bentley is like a sentimental brand. Um, you know, when you look at like Peking to Paris, um, e- even the modern recreations, there's always, you know, probably not Bentley blowers, but you know, three liter Bentleys and twenties and thirties stuff. They were, they were used as Overland vehicles way back when, because he didn't have the infrastructure. Well, if you look at Lawrence of Arabia, Rolls Royce, that was a Rolls Royce two wheel drive. You can get a Rolls Royce. It's not the Corniche. It's the Silver Shadow 2. Okay. For like five grand if you look. Like for what some people pay for rooftop tents, you can get a Rolls Royce. There you go. And you can sleep in the back seat. So maybe that's the direction we should go in this is like, what is the most obscure, crazy thing that you can drive for the cost of an, an outfitted Tacoma? An outfitted Tacoma. I mean, oh, that's that's but that's a lot. An of outfitted money. Tacoma is sixty grand now. Yeah, that's right. 
at realistically, least. yeah. yeah. Um, that opens up pretty much any I, car. I had some people telling me in Southern California that they were selling Tacomas for $20,000 over a sticker for the TRD ones. Yeah, because they just aren't available. It's crazy. Yeah. Like the local Ford dealer has like that Bronco Sport, mm-hmm. which is really just a Ford Escape and Drag. Mm-hmm. They wanted a $5,000 market premium for that. It wasn't even like the cool one. Yeah. It's just like a car that you can currently actually buy. Yeah. And it was $5,000 over. Yeah. I mean, they say 28, 30% increase in used car prices in the last year. Yeah. My friend Yusuf sent me this uh, graph of everything. Yeah. It's nuts. It's out of control. Yeah. 37% year over. Well, when I just got the GMC AT4, they were just not available in any close configuration. So I just figured I'm going to order it. And then I waited the couple months and it showed up exactly how I wanted. And I think given the fact of used prices, you just buy a new one and wait yeah. and get exactly what you want. I, I, what I would love to see happen from this, I regular listeners of the podcast will know that I buy and sell cars all the time. I, I, it's a, I'm good at seeing market trends and I'll buy a car, drive it for a little bit. Um, particularly lately cars are going up, yep. you buy something desirable before it's desirable and you have a free car. That's what I do. Um, I hate buying cars from dealers. It is the worst experience. It is. It's very rough. Ever. Um, you know, and I wonder if the, if the auto industry was smart, why not just go on the website? I want this truck and it shows up to your house like Tesla's do. Yeah, that'll happen. Isn't Carvana, isn't Carvana that Car- way? Carvana's used cars. It does yeah. that. There's a few like that. Um, and people are having great experiences with that stuff. Yeah. They're buying off lease vehicles yeah. that are in good shape, low mileage. They yep. show up on a truck on a tow truck mm-hmm. and they put it on your driveway. If you, and if and and you can away. take it for a test drive, if you don't want it, yeah. they'll take it back for yep. you. I think there's like a small fee or something, yep. but um, it, it beats getting put into the room with the little finance guy. Who's yeah. like, well, if you don't buy this, this protection package, we're not gonna be able to give you a good interest rate. Yeah. Like all of the, the just crap games yeah. that come along with it. There's gotta be some expiration date to that torture. I think. Like have a service department. I mean, what, what happens when car? I mean, cars are becoming more and more and more reliable. Like yeah. when I was working for Land Rover over ten years ago, even at that point, they were basically realizing that they needed to, to redesign how a lot of their dealerships function because they were used to having so many mechanics and so many cars working on them. Yep. Using Land Rover as the obvious example. Well, now Land Rovers become a lot more reliable. Yep. And they don't have as many service guys, so. Cars continue to get more reliable. When's the last time your cell phone just quit working? Yeah. You know, um, like we used to see all of those cell phone repair shops. Yep. You don't really see those that much anymore. Because they're waterproof now. And yeah, they, the phones yeah. are waterproof. Yeah. You know, they have the crazy glass. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. when we start looking at electric cars, like what is the point of the dealership going to be? Yeah. It's going to be very different. I mean, even like you said, with Land Rover, I remember talking to Ray Denardi from Land Rover, Las Vegas. And he said that. Great guy. Yeah. Amazing. If you're going amazing to buy human. a new car. <laughs> That's the guy from, from Land Rover, Las Vegas. <laughs> exactly. And I remember talking to him about Land Rover reliability. And he's like, Scott, I have one third, 30% of the techs I used to have. Yeah. So that means if you just take that as a simple translation, that Land Rovers are now two thirds better yeah. reliability yeah, exactly. than they used to be. Um, so cars are so much better. And, and that's why I think like even this idea of taking cars around the world. I mean, we're seeing, think about all of the two wheel drive vans, like you said, the Vanagans. And I don't think that we have to wrap our heads around so much. If you want to drive to Ushuaia, you can drive all the way to Ushuaia without needing a four wheel drive. That is guaranteed. Now you may get into a little bit of snow. Yeah. So you have to pay attention to that. Um, so drive it in the right time of year. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is if, if the goal is I want to go see South America and I want to do it as inexpensive as possible, you're probably better off doing it in a car. Yeah. On the exact opposite of the affordable spectrum, Ferrari actually did the Pan American Highway maybe in 2005, two, 2005. Okay. In 612 Scaglietti's. That'd be that's amazing. another obscure choice. You can buy something that's, no, don't, don't do that with a Ferrari. That'd be bad. They would, no one would buy it. What I'm just saying, in 2006, it was possible to take a very long wheelbase, four-seat, front-engine V12 supercar from Ushuaia to the United States. Yeah, totally. And there's, and the thing is, is there's also some really great roads along the way. So, I mean, I think about you're changing your what you're doing. Yeah, you're going to focus on the coastal routes and these beautiful. I yeah. mean, 
I think about uh, the time that I rode some moto guzzies in Italy and, and we did some dirt with it. Yeah. You know, when we were in Sardinia, we did some dirt, but I don't even remember that. I literally don't remember the dirt because the roads were so magic. It was like, it was a high point travel thing for me. It was just absolutely glorious. And to do that, like in a Bentley Continental GT or in a Subaru, right, would be super fun because you could haul butt going yeah. around there. Yeah. I mean, there's the the list of obscure vehicles that have done traditional overland routes is 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 pretty significant. It right? is. Yeah. Um, there's a auto journal in Australia that took an R8 to Birdsville. That's right. We um, featured that in Overland Journal yeah, years ago. Yeah. You know, there's even there's, did big red with it. Yeah. There's <laughs> so, all kinds of crazy things yeah. that you can do. I mean, obviously like that's not where we are delving into the world of, of, of an exhibition, total esoteric stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, you know, again, let's work on that $60,000 budget of a Tacoma and, and all of the stuff that you need. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the benefit is that you then do have a place to sleep. Yep. But oftentimes you're paying for places to sleep. Yeah. Especially if you're in populated areas on, on the, on the Pan mm-hmm. American, like when I ran that hot, I run around Panama passage, like that was the place to camp in Panama city. Yep. If you needed to do all your stuff, nine 11 could be cool. And there's been, a, I'm sure actually, there's been a lot of around oh, the yeah, world trips yeah, yeah. done yeah. 9/11s. Um, the, the guy behind four till four coffee did the Peking to Paris in a nine twelve, which for the Porsche unwashed, that just means it's a four cylinder nine eleven from I don't know, I guess those are sixties, seventies. Mm. There's a lot that you can do. Cause they're cause they're kind of like they're a, a Volkswagen Beetle. They're kind of like a Volkswagen Beetle, like, right? They're a rear engine. Yeah. Rear wheel drive, very lightweight. Mm-hmm. I've seen, you know, and we've even seen the modified, which, you know, yeah. that starts to look ridiculous. Well, that's why, you, that's why you start to see like the rally 911, mm-hmm. like the Safari, like Kevin Marshall has that Safari 911. Yeah. They just did that whole like several hundred mile off road trip with all 911 air cooled Safaris. So like, fun. No problems because yeah. they're very well engineered cars. Yeah, right. Now, 911, we were having this conversation five or 10 years ago. You could have bought an air cooled 911 for like the gum on the bottom of your Bir- Birkenstock. For this, for this used Birkenstock, <laughs> yeah. I could have gotten an air cooled 911. Now they're like 100 grand. Yeah. Yeah. Like a good one is just crazy. But there are also, there are also not so collector 911s that you can still get for a bargain. Um, you like know, what, what would be some good examples of that? Well, I mean, right now it's tough, but you know, the 944 is still reason, even though it has quadrupled in value, it's quadrupled in value from like $2,500 to 10,000. Sure. Um, you know, the 912 is still a decent value in that space. Um, the 996, which is a water cooled car is going up in value. They were just, I think they hit this point where they were old enough where they weren't cool. And then, they still cost a lot to maintain. So they dipped and yeah. now people have maintained them and the prices kind of have gone back up. Yeah. And now for a quick break from one of our supporters, Onyx Off-Road. If you're driving or riding on dirt this summer, don't leave home without the Onyx Off-Road GPS app. For less than a tank of gas, get access to 550,000 miles of trails and roads and 985 million acres of public land for camping, fishing, exploring, and all of your outdoor adventures. Onyx off-road maps are fully interactive, meaning you can tap anywhere on the map for detailed information. Check out featured trails for trail descriptions, photos, difficulty ratings, and more. Your maps will even work without cell coverage, so you never have to worry about getting lost. Go to onyxoffroad.com and use the code OJ at checkout for 20% off right now. Thanks, Onyx. But like, let, let's talk about like, not necessarily cars, but these crossover SUVs. Mm-hmm. There are, I mean, that is, if, if you think of, if, if in the 1980s, the average shape of a car probably looked like a Crown Vic. Mm. Well, now it looks like a Audi Q3 or a Volkswagen Tiguan or. They all you know, look the same. They all yeah. look the same, right? Um, and they depreciate so much. I mean, yep. you can get, you can get a Porsche Cayenne for 10 grand mm-hmm. that has all wheel drive and low range and air suspension. You can get them with lockers, even and a rear locker mm-hmm. and they're actually made pretty well. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, I think, non-traditional things that, that you can look at. But the, I think the crossover makes a lot of sense. It's kind yeah. of in that Subaru, Subaru, Subaru category where you can get a Honda CRV. And if you, if you look at the element, like the element, I think was probably the best example of this the elements. You could get an E, you know, the, the little topper on it. Who, the E camper, e camper. from uh, Ursa Minor. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So they, they had this cool little pop top 
that bolted onto yep. the top of a of an element. They were boxy little all-wheel drive. Super cool, super functional. And people, I know of people who've driven them all the way down through South America, including yeah. some off-road stuff. They're so. Hondas. Yeah. Honda, I mean, Honda makes very good stuff. Yeah, very you good know, stuff. Their stuff may not be marketed towards me. It may, you know, because I'm not a Honda Odyssey buyer and I'm yeah. not a Honda Accord buyer. There's nothing wrong with, with those vehicles, but they're very good vehicles. Very good know? vehicles, very high quality. Um, I mean, think about it like a Honda 650 motorcycle. It's like classic thumper run that runs until, forever. Yeah. Until the end of the, the world. end of days. Yeah, exactly. 30 years or something with all the fires that we're having, you know? So, but I, know, I think on, on that, if you were to, if you, okay, if you were to, let's say we take any sedan, like even for me, I would say that the thing that first comes to mind is one of those diesel Mercedes sedans yeah. or the Bentley Continental. That would be my two choices. Well, Cause one's just eccentric, but also still a very well-made yeah. car. So, and the reason why I would pick that Mercedes is when I first got into software consulting, I show up, they had a new Impala, Chevy Impala that they were going to have me drive as my company vehicle. The guy who ran the office drove this old W123 Mercedes diesel. And I'm like, well, because I didn't want to, I did not want to drive the Impala. I said, well, I'm the new guy and I probably shouldn't have the new car. Does he want the new car and I'll take the old Mercedes. And he was like, and of course he was like, yeah, I'll take the new car. <laughs> and I ended up exactly with what I wanted, which was the, yeah, oh. he got the new car and I got exactly what I wanted, which was this old yeah. Mercedes sedan. Other than the fact that occasionally the door locks didn't work because they were vacuum operated. This thing, it had been part of the company for decades, so long that the odometer stopped working. Like a decade before I started driving it. And I drove it for years and years and years. And it was absolutely wonderful. Like everything about it. So that's like your sentimental car. It, it is. And that, if I was to say, I'm going to go buy a car and go do like a fun overland route, like an obscure car. It would be that Mercedes little diesel, you know, little turbo diesel, yeah. classic 1980s Mercedes sedan, or maybe the wagon. Cause you could sleep in the back of it, but that would be my choice. But if I think about what I would do to it, I would probably just put a couple skid plates under it just to protect the soft bits. Yeah. And then make sure that I've got the eyelet toe points on it, just in case I got to get pulled out of something, throw some max tracks in the back, you know, have a couple duffel bags, and then maybe you sleep in it every once in a while. But for the most part, I would just go into little villages and stay there. Yeah. Just make it all about not make it nothing to do with the car. It's literally like taking a taxi. Just about all the culture. Yeah. yeah. And you just make it literally about the places that you're going to go to and no one's going to notice it. They're not going to notice you at the border crossings. They're not, the cops They're aren't going to pull you over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think so for me, other than the Bentley continental, cause there is a lot of appeal to that. I think that it would be yeah. the Mercedes. So what would be your cheap solution and what would be your Uber solution? I, I have to think of this. Cause like I joined expedition portal when I was like 14. So yeah. my entire life <laughs> has just been overland trucks. Um, or stupid sports cars. So what do we define as cheap? Like what's my ceiling here? Let's call it 12 grand, 12 grand. Cause I think that's about what you can get those Mercedes, a nice clean Mercedes. And it, and it like has to actually make it to, let's just say Ushuaia. Yeah. Miata. <laughs> that would be fun. That would be perfect. Pick the thing up. If you get stuck, that'd be you know, perfect. Treat it like a motorcycle trip. That's probably what I would take. That would be so fun. And then just stay in cool little hostels and hotels yeah. and eco resorts. Oftentimes, or when traveling, I've, I've found probably the cheapest way to do it is, is in hostels and, and the occasional hotel with, you know, augmented with a backpacking tent. Yeah. All of that is 100% doable in a Miata and they're very reliable. They get crazy, crazy good gas, gas mileage. mileage. If you're Emmy Hall, you can lift. The she does have a cool lifted one. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. You guys got to check out Emmy Hall on Instagram. She's got this lifted Mazda yeah. Miata and she's an Amazing human being, yeah, yeah. a journalist, accomplished we both know. racer, accomplished yeah. journalist, um, yeah. writes for CNET. What would my like crazy? Yeah, I like the Miata one. That's good. My expensive car that I would take around the world would be a 911. That would be sweet. That would be so sweet. Um, so legit too, right? Yeah, they're they're very practical. They're very well made. I just that would be it. Is it? And you would want a recent one, or you'd want an older 911? They're all good. Yeah, that's the thing. so which so then. If they were all good, I what, have, what I do you have, think would be the solution? I have very little experience with air-cooled cars. I've never owned one. Yeah. Um, it was actually the, the first car I drove was an air-cooled 911 with my uncle, but that's the last time I drove one was when I was very, very, very young. So yeah, I would probably go with a 997. Okay. 
Um, so that what year time frame that's is that? 2005 to 2012. Okay. They're a little bit higher. Okay. Their overhangs are a little bit less. Are they coil sprung cars or they are, or how do they set They're, up the suspension they, on that? They do have coil springs. Yeah. 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 No 911s to my knowledge have ever had air suspension. Okay. Although some of them have that front lift, press a button and it usually raises it at about 50 millimeters. Okay. Yeah. Some of the newer 911s are just so low to the ground. That's my concern. Yeah. That, that would be a problem where like a 997, you know, you could, you could buzz around in one of those pretty easy. Um, and you'd go coupe or soft top. What would you go? I, I would do a coupe because I'm not a psychopath. I, I don't, I, I wasn't know, aware of that. So. I don't know anybody who, who, who drives cabriolet on 11s. Okay. They're just, they're just like, they're like, like they're driving the same car, yeah. but they're not the same people. Gotcha. It's like, okay. Okay. It's like think Land of it, Rovers. We've learned so much today on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Opinionated Matt as usual. <laughs> so there's Land Rover people. Okay. Uh-huh. There's the people who buy Land Rovers new. Right. And then there's Land Rover enthusiasts. Right. And they're rarely the same people. They are not the same people. Yeah, that's right. Right. That's, that's coupe first cabriolet in the 911 world. I gotcha. World. Okay. I don't, they, they can sell for half as much. Like they're, they're, I don't want to say they're undesirable, but the cheapest 911s are always the convertibles. Interesting. Convertible automatics, the Tiptronics. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. This is good to know. So until they went PDK. Okay. So Matt's really, so t- what, I don't know what a PDK is. So tell me Porsche Doppel Kuglung or okay. something. It's, it's, it's a dual clutch Porsche gearbox in okay. German because in American, we would just say dual clutch. Yeah. In German, it's 87 words put together. <laughs> so many syllables. Yeah. Love those German engineers though. Yeah, they make amazing stuff. Um, yeah, so it would be a 911 for me. It'd be a manual. Do they, do they make a 911 all-wheel drive? They do. Every 911 since 89. Okay. With the 993, 9964 has been available um, with an all-wheel drive. So would you system. do that? Would you go, go with an all-wheel drive? Just because of snow and you want to go skiing? Yeah, maybe. Or? Yeah, like a Carrera 4 or yeah. Carrera 4S would be really fun. Again, I've never, I don't have much experience. I did drive Brian Doerr's 911 Turbo, which is turbo engine, but same, it would be the same chassis and driveline. I just That's like, all-wheel drive, isn't it? Yeah, I just like the way the rear-wheel drive ones go. Yeah, yeah. I'm only saying this because you already took the Bentley. Like... <laughs> I mean, well, it can, you can pick the Bentley. Okay. So let's talk Bentley here. Air suspension. It's true. The little, the little center console right in front of the cup holders. You've got three different ride height settings. You have different shock settings. And this is for the older ones. You can, you, you have can, a V12. You have, you have a, actually it's a W12. It's essentially oh, W12s are Yeah. It's essentially two VR6 Volkswagen Scirocco motors with a common crankcase. Oh, wow. That engine, the engine was actually initially designed to be a W18 for an Audi supercar project. And then it got shortened into production into a W8, a W12, and a W16 for the Veyron. Wow. It's good to know. It is fascinating. The things you need to know in overlanding. But okay, yeah. So you can put a light truck tire on those cars. They are so big and so heavy, they ride on SUV tires. Unless you decide to go for performance summer tires. I mean, you can put a Pirelli Scorpion Sure. Tire on there. So that's a huge advantage to that vehicle. You have the air suspension, so you can run up to 45 mile an hour with a, with a two inch lift. Wow. Um, that's huge. They're very well made. They They look fantastic. They look fantastic. They send all of the wrong signals. Um, (laughs) (laughs) they are going to be impossible to fix, Yeah, but they don't really break that much. Like they're they're very well made. You know, the Bentley thing is, is that it's a 200 mile an hour overland vehicle. Yeah, <laughs> that you can get for less money than a used, a used, what generation Tacoma are we on now? Third gen? Yeah. Okay. So I have, I have a buddy at the Windsock in Prescott that I drink at. He just got a 2015 TRD Sport or whatever. Nice truck. Like 40,000 miles on it for $36,000. Go on Google right now. And I guarantee you that you can find a Bentley with less miles for the same or less money. And you have a W12. And you have a W12. And you can go 200 miles an hour in it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, if yeah, man, we're, we're on just a, on we're, a track, we're, of course, listen, or we, we have been given a license on this to be obscure. Yeah. We're talking about cars. Yeah. Like if you want practical advice, get a Subaru, get a Corolla. We, we, we covered that in the first like four seconds of this podcast. <laughs> so when I get tweeted at Matt, you're so pretentious. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, uh, well, cause we're talking theoretical, right? So if you're theoretically pretentious, that's just cause you're having fun with an idea, right? I did. I did theoretically own a Bentley for a while, but I did theoretically also make money. on it. Yeah. So it didn't cost you anything. So it's not pretentious at all. That's smart. Took it down last dollar ranch road and tell you, right. That was kind of fun. Did have 22s though. Ouch. I didn't like the 22s, but it had Pirelli Scorpions on it. Like it's, I don't know. Cause it's a heavy car. They're like, fu- they weigh as much as a G wagon. They are eligible for section 179 rapid depreciation because yeah. they are considered a commercial vehicle. They're that heavy. They, they have a gross vehicle weight of over 6,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why many people own them. That's why. <laughs> yeah. So we've now, we've now talked about our cheapest and our favorite. What, what would probably be the best though? Like if we were to not do the cheapest and not the ultimate the best car that you could buy today to drive around the world in my opinion e-class e450 all-terrain wagon yeah there you go e-classes are sold everywhere that's new um and mercedes is serviceable essentially in any country of the world yeah they're driven by diplomats they're driven by taxi drivers they're driven by politicians Mm -hmm. so um what would the cheap one be um corolla yeah, either that or like an, a RAV4, RAV4 or a CRV. I yeah. think those would be really nice choices because they are a little bit taller. Yeah. You can do some sandy tracks and things like that. Or I had a RAV4 when we lived um, in Ridgeway. And really oh, nice little car. I'm going hiking here. Like, oh, you oh, you drove up that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. okay, cool. You're at Prattleville. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so you don't need a Jeep to. Well, that's when before it opens. Again, yeah. You can run as far as you want on Black Bear. Oh, but you see Subaru's uh, cinnamon and all those yeah. past totally do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, so I mean, maybe that's the thing. Um, Subaru CRV. I think RAV4. I'm, I'm going to throw a, an alternative in here for for an affordable car is a Model Three. Oh, purchase price is a little bit more. No fuel. Very, very, very little maintenance. Um, you can sleep inside of them. You can plug them in at a campground. So you can go to a campground okay, and you can get like Bruce Dorn was telling me about this guy that he ran into um, somewhere. The Navajo reservation had a, I'm going to say it was a model. Th- I think it was a model three. Okay. Um, Cause they're, know, and they're all wheel drive. Yeah. So he'd go and he'd get his 15 or 30 amp service campsite. Yep. That, you know, has your showers and your toilets and your water and all your stuff. So less than a fuel, a tank of gas. Yeah. You've now got a campsite and, and you've that's topped your off your vehicle. You're not, when you're traveling, you're not driving more than three to 350 miles a day. Right. I mean, if you're doing that long-term, you're, you're, you're blown by everything. Um, and those things also have the ability to like put serious range in, in short amounts, but you have a air conditioned and heated campsite because you can sleep in the back and they have this, like, apparently they have this like camping mode. You can just like leave the, Oh yeah. Or like the dog mode where it just keeps yeah. it temperature controlled. So that's brilliant because you're plugged in. You're, so you're not in. using any fuel and you're charging at yeah. the same time. That's so smart. But that's what it's going to be. Think about it. I mean, we've got we've got the Hummer EV. We've got Mercedes just made the statement today that within the decade they're going to be all electric in their sedan. All their cars the will new be electric. EQS just launched. Bassum was out in. Uh, in, in Zurich, my buddy Bassam Watsoff, he was out in Zurich driving that. And he's like, it's another level. Yeah. It's a different motoring experience. Yeah. I'm so excited for electric cars. And they're coming. So, yeah. I'm not know. saying that I'm not going to still own big, dirty, massive, beautiful V8s. Yeah. Or W12s or whatever they may be. But I think that for a lot of us, yeah. a Rivian or a Hummer EV, something that has, and they're going to have 500 miles range, they're going to get there. Yeah. And there's no well, overla- Tesla is already there. Yeah. The, the world's fastest production car zero to 60 right now is the plaid yeah. the model S plaid. Like it's a space balls joke. We're yeah. going so fast. We've gone plaid. Yeah. Um, 1.9 seconds, zero to 60. It's like $120,000, which is a lot of money, but the car that most closely matches its performance or there's two, there is the Bugatti Chiron or a 911 turbo S. Yeah. And how much do those cost? Anywhere from three to yeah, a like a turbo, a turbo S. I think starting price is one hundred and ninety-one thousand. Okay, so that's closer than I thought it would be. Um, the Chiron, like, were you invited to buy one? Like, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter. Um, they they don't have the price listed. Yeah. But that car has the the Model S Plaid has a five hundred and twenty mile range. Yeah. So soon we're going to be at the point where, like, all electric cars have to beat is what humans can drive in a day. Yeah. So. You know, there's always that one dude that's like, well, when I go to like my dad 
when we were kids. And it's like, I'm not even getting out to go to the bathroom from Illinois to Florida. <laughs> like you might have to stop. Yeah. Um, but you had to stop for gas. Yeah. Sure. Sketchy gas stations. Sure. Gasoline yeah. You have to stop and eat, you know, so yeah. you stop, you plug in your car, you eat a nice lunch and then you get back in it and off you go. Yeah. That's going to happen. So, and then the fact that you could be in camping mode with the AC running, the heater yeah. running, totally comfortable inside it. That's going to be awesome. Well, so supposedly the cyber truck's going to have that little, that the option for the camper on the back, yep. if we ever see that. But you know, the, the Rivian is very, very appealing to me. Yep. And, and the, uh, the Bezos, space thing that just happened a few days ago he drove out to the to the launch site in a rivian did he yep that's kind of cool yeah everybody being on jeff bezos right now yeah when it's a new it's a new frontier when you're yeah gonna be the world's first trillionaire or maybe he already is isn't he already no i don't think so you just you just have different interests like jeff bezos buying a rocket is like an average american buying like starbucks yeah yeah he has spent a billion dollars a year for the last decade to be able to go on a flight into space. Yeah, but we have to do that as as humanity. No like, question. I, I get into this conversation with electric cars. It's like electric's a nice short-term solution, but eventually we will mine all of the lithium. Yeah. And, and it's going to have to be hydrogen or something that yeah, can be renewable. Yeah, it has to be a legit renewable resource. Yeah. But on that same regard, we will always eventually run out of this planet. So mm-hmm. if we don't have people that are pushing the boundaries literally to get us elsewhere mm-hmm. as a species, we don't survive. Yep. It's not, it doesn't like, affect then, our and lifetime. And then like but... the house sparrow will run earth Yeah, <laughs> and we'll run, you know, and then in like 12 million years, we'll have this alien, you know, house sparrow invasion. <laughs> that was crazy. It's a very successful species. People Sounds think like... because it's ordinary that it's not successful. Yeah. There you go. It has been successful. Knowledge by Matt today we should probably end this it was brilliant cool so just think about that subaru no modifications drive it around the world if you do that uh, matt and i will both find some way to to make it very much worth your while to come on the podcast and talk yeah. about it so think about that uh subaru crosstrek probably average selling price twenty five thousand dollars yep. a loaded one is twenty eight thousand dollars um you can drive it out of the box you don't have to buy tires you don't have to buy anything i mean yep. may, maybe buy some i think falcon's got those wild peak yeah, slightly tires. Like yeah. I probably do that. Um, couple little skid plates. Couple skid plates. Drive it to South America. Drive it back. Yep. And then you're going to sell your, you know, your twenty eight thousand dollars Subaru you bought new with fifty thousand miles. You're going to sell it for like twenty seven right now, yeah. or, or, or it's a used car, so probably like eight hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, and use all the rest of the money to to do your trip. Yep. You know, exactly. I, uh, think of think of what a Tacoma could cost. Yep. Even a used Tacoma. It's just worth considering. And that's why we wanted to talk about this on this podcast is we don't always have to have the most extreme solution to yeah. an average problem, mm-hmm. which if the, if the problem is I want to drive from here to South America and I don't really need to do a lot of off-roading or I don't really care to, then start off with something that's really comfortable to drive on the road and is going to cost you a lot less money. Yeah. And you're going to kind of have a different experience than looking super expedition-y. Yeah. Which so, I think is a good thing. Yeah. And um, thank you all for listening. And uh, yeah, send us some feedback or ideas. If you've got your ultimate car or you've been driving your ultimate car down to Ushuaia and you want to send us some pictures and a little update, we'll talk about it on a future episode, but you can reach Matt at Matt Explorer on Instagram and you can reach me, uh, scott.a.brady yeah. on Instagram, or you can go directly to at Overland Journal on Instagram and send send your feedback in there. And we'll talk to you guys next time.